I'm reading out of Acts 4 today. And it says, When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said to the Holy Spirit, Why do the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city, they were gathered together against your Holy Spirit, servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon the threats and grants of your servant to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they are prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continue to speak the word of God with boldness. Kieran's the reading. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of your word. And today what we've heard uh, from Acts chapter 4, and we pray that you would speak to us through that and uh, through the different uh, things that you've been uh, drawing my heart to um, over the last few days. So we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and speak your truth and release your life uh, in our homes and uh, whatever spaces we're uh, watching the stream this morning or this, this time of day. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for joining us. It's great to be uh, together. And you probably will remember from the last couple of weeks, we're thinking about revival. And just to remind you that uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had a conference that was uploaded online um, about revival. And there's loads of uh, content there on our YouTube channel. So do uh, look at that. A couple of weeks ago, I shared on sort of the first week we were looking at this subject, um, I shared on something the Lord had spoken to me about, which was more to do with kind of us and our behavior and judgment and um, how that can just get in the way. And so that, that whole piece of getting it out and, and making sure that's not part of uh, our own journey and our own experience. Today, I'm going to kind of go all over the place and I make no apology for it. Um, one of the reasons is when we um, try and track a move of God or when we try and track what revival means, the way that the Holy Spirit moves and the way that God does things very often is all over the place. And uh, we see that in past revivals. We see it when we look at the history of God moving through his church um, in different ways. You see it in the book of Acts. It's, it's right throughout the book of Acts. There's a scattering and it looks in some ways a little bit chaotic. Or, uh, you know, when, when also in the Gospels, when Jesus shows up, uh, 
sometimes the towns and the villages, there's this sort of chaos on, uh, uh, ensuing as he arrives somewhere and people go, he's here, he's here. And they get really excited and they bring the sick and the lame. And there's just this sort of life and you cannot put it in a box. So um, today we might jump around a bit and um, that's just part of where we're going today. I'm starting us in Acts chapter 4 and uh, the reading that we had uh, today started at verse 23 uh, which SJ read to us and it's about the believers praying with boldness but what's happened immediately before if we look um, earlier in chapter uh, 4 is that um, actually it starts in chapter 3 Peter and John find themselves there they're about to go to the temple And uh, what happens is, by the beautiful gate, uh, they meet a man um, who is a lame beggar. And he's around 40 years old. And uh, through their interactions, um, there's this thing that happens. They say, look at us. And he looks intently into their eyes. And they say to him, silver and gold have I none. But what I have or what we have, we give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Get up and walk. And I think what happens in that moment is the beggar is drawn. He's looking intently in their eyes. And what he's actually looking at is the very presence of Jesus within uh, Peter and John. And it's almost like uh, Jesus, he's he's alive within uh, John. He's alive within Peter. And as the beggar looks into their eyes, he looks right into the eyes of Jesus. And it's almost like the eyes of Jesus look back out to him. And this miraculous thing occurs. And then what we see is loads of people get added to the church. Um, and uh, in uh, which verse? Let me just find the verse. Um, Everyone's amazed and it says they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. That's the beggar. That's verse 10. Um, And then uh, it was sort of as we continue through uh, the story, we get to the first section of chapter 4. And uh, Peter and John are just about to go before the council. And as the Sadducees come to them and say, hey, what's going on? Uh, Come with us. Uh, Then it sort of says in verse 4, but many of those who had heard uh, the word believed. And the number of men came to about 5,000. So here we have in this account, this beggar being healed, Peter preaching on the back of it. Uh, the Sanhedrin and the the powers that be come to basically arrest them, and all those that were there of the men, and you know it, it, we know in biblical accounts they count the men, but actually the crowd was probably three to four times larger than that. The the men that were counted were five thousand, so somewhere between fifteen and twenty thousand people added to the body of Christ that day. This is revival right here in the book of Acts. We are seeing revival happen. Okay, now what then happens as we go through chapter four is effectively to summarise it. uh, 
Peter and John are uh, before the council and then uh, accused and the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And, and Peter uh, speaks, uh, and I'm not going to go into the details of it, uh, but essentially um, he says there is salvation in no one else uh, for there is no other name under heaven. He's already identified Jesus Christ of Nazareth. There is no other name under heaven uh, given among men by which we must be saved. And he's saying that these acts, these miracles are the work of Jesus. Then um, the account goes on and we come down to the section, verse 23. Uh, that we read about today. And what happens is the, um, the council, if you like, say, you are not to speak in this name. And Peter and John say, sorry, we're, we're not going to basically do that. And they are released. And um, uh, when they were released, verse 23, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, uh, said by the Holy Spirit, then they, pre, uh, they quote some of the Old Testament scriptures, but there's this kind of spontaneous act of praise and they start kind of retelling the wonders of God, what he's been doing. And um, this is what's going on. There's this sort of incredible response. And this is kind of what happens in revival. And then um, it carries on, uh, verse 27. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hands and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And so they point to the, if you like, the oppressors. And I will probably come back to that. If this time, I will come back to that. Um, but there's this move of God, isn't there? And it's being, you know, the powers that be, the religious authorities are trying to shut it down and crush it. Um, and, and we continue in verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. I, I don't know what kind of revival situations you've been in, but have you ever experienced the place physically shaking? We may have felt a shaking in the spirit realm. I've had that experience. I know many people have uh, encountered that sense of in their spirit, just whether it's in a vision or whether it's just a knowing of what God is doing, but a, almost a sense of, of a, a tremulous shaking in the spirit. And our spirits respond in kind of, I just want more. It's that sort of feeling. And here... Uh, you know, these extraordinary miracles are taking place. 
Thousands upon thousands of people are coming to faith. And then here we see this um, encounter where the place shakes. It reminds me of Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah finds himself in a vision in the temple. And it says the... um, it's something like the threshold, I haven't read it recently, but it's something like the threshold shook and it kind of released smoke into the atmosphere. Uh, look it up because I may have got it slightly wrong. But it is that same sense of the, the holiness of God arriving and the whole place kind of vibrating because of it. And here, the power of God is so strong, the the awe of God is so strong, that the place is shaking and the people are all filled with the Holy Spirit. So that's what we're seeing here in the sort of biblical um, account. You know, when I look back over my experiences in life, and my kind of journey with seeing revival happen, um, I've seen it happen in a number of different ways. And if I go right back to my teenage years when I was sort of, I don't know, 16, 17, 18, and I was hanging out with a group of friends who are now kind of all leading churches, surprise, surprise. Um, But we were hanging out and just the Holy Spirit would show up and we would just be, I don't know, in someone's room chatting and suddenly one of us would start manifesting in in the Holy Spirit and it could be a shaking, it could be somebody praying in tongues, it could be someone just being, I'm prophesying right now, it could be someone, one experience I remember was um, one of my friends reading Romans 8 and he knew Romans 8, but it was like the Holy Spirit came upon him and he was reading it as if he'd never read it before. And when it starts in Romans 8, speaking about the sons of God being revealed, he just came under some extraordinary um, anointing and started shaking and trying to show us. But he couldn't show us because his Bible was shaking in his hands. He was like, look at this. And it was so exciting. And it felt kind of like revival, like some of the stories that we read. Not long after that, at the time, I was going to um, HTB Church um, in London and uh, there was an extraordinary move of God and some of you will have heard about this. I have shared about it before, um, but there was a, a big move back in the early 90s, 93, 94, around there and there was this extraordinary move of God and some people call it the, the Toronto Blessing But whatever you call it, there was this thing going on. The Holy Spirit was coming in power, uh, touching his people. And all these things started happening. Manifestations. And we didn't understand at the time. We're just like, Lord, we are open to your spirit. Come. And all we wanted was more. We just wanted more of him. And there was just this kind of, I don't know how to explain it, other than this sense of drenchedness like being drenched in the spirit of God and when one of us would ask for the Holy Spirit to come crazy things would start happening and I mean crazy and you know the sort of stuff that uh, can give the church a weird name because this is what happens in revivals 
You, you might come across um, people speaking about past revivals um, who've read up on it. And they might speak about Wesley, for example, John and Charles Wesley, um, who had an incredible ministry and transformed the landscape of the United Kingdom. Um, when John Wesley went out to the States, it was unbelievably ineffective. But when he came back to the UK, the whole thing just went, exploded. It was amazing. But John and Charles Wesley, and a lot of people don't know this because of the Methodist kind of ways that they instigated, which were very much disciplined and, you know, rhythms of, of prayer, rhythms of reading the Bible, stopping and studying the word and studying other languages like German or whatever. And they had these very sort of strict rhythms. But as they moved on in their ministry and as they advanced in, in years, the Holy Spirit started to move among them in extraordinary ways. And they became known, I've forgotten the phrase, but they became known not, not as sort of being drunk as it were, but that's probably what we would call it today, but just being pretty crazy because of the way the Holy Spirit moved amongst them. And through the night, these meetings they would have with people doing all sorts of kind of crazy things. And that stuff often is not reported. What's reported is the things that they preached um, and, and the stuff from earlier on in their ministry. Um, and that bit's often missed. And so in modern day moves of God, sadly, there tends to be a part of the church that stands up and rises up against it and says, this is not the spirit of God. Um, and, you know, when the Holy Spirit comes in power, I, I, I want to put it to you, uh, I'm just trying to think which way to start. Um, when the spirit of God shows up, things happen. Let's start, let me just go very quickly through. We have been going through as a church um, the encounters with Jesus over June and July um, and into August. Um, we're continuing it, but we're sending out daily thoughts Monday to Friday, looking at an encounter with Jesus. Now through that process, in planning it, we've taken out most of the teaching that Jesus gave and we're focusing in on what he's done the acts of Jesus if you like now that's not because we don't want his teaching we love his teaching but we're we're wanting to sort of fix our eyes on what he did and you know most of us are pretty familiar with the teaching of Jesus the words of Jesus the parables and the, the, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, we looked at it a couple of weeks ago. But, you know, we are very familiar with the things that he said when he encountered different people. And we're, we are obviously familiar with um, his acts as well. But what's fascinating is when you look chronologically through the life of Jesus at his acts and you see what he did, something starts, a pattern starts to emerge. Just have a listen to this. So, this is chronological starting from uh, one of the first encounters with Jesus after the wedding at Cana um, and uh, from acts that he does after that. So, Jesus loves the woman at the well. 
Jesus heals an official's son. Jesus drives out an evil spirit. Jesus heals many. That's just put down to heals many. You know, how many? Hundreds, maybe thousands. Jesus cleanses a leper. Jesus heals a paralytic. Jesus heals at the pool of Bethsaida. Jesus heals a withered hand. Jesus heals a centurion servant. Jesus resurrects a widow's son. Jesus heals a uh, sorry. Jesus loves a sinful woman. Jesus heals a demon possessed man. Jesus heals a woman with the issue of blood. Jesus resurrects Jairus's daughter. Jesus heals two blind men. Jesus frees a demon oppressed man. Jesus feeds the five thousand. Jesus walks on water. Jesus heals many. There it is again. Jesus frees the daughter of a faith-filled mother. Jesus heals many. There it is again. Uh, Jesus feeds the 4,000. Jesus heals a man born blind. Jesus frees a boy uh, from an evil spirit. Jesus forgives a woman caught in adultery. Jesus heals a man born blind. Jesus heals a disabled woman. Jesus heals a man with dropsy. Jesus resurrects Lazarus. Jesus heals 10 lepers. It goes on and on and on. And when you go through it like this and you look at his acts, he heals, he heals, he heals, he heals, he heals. He frees, he frees, he frees, he frees. He loves, he loves, he loves, he loves. You know, that is the work of the kingdom. That is revival in action. And it's what we are called to. Why is it that the people of God can look at encounters like that in the Gospels and assume that it doesn't happen today? I don't know how it's possible to read this the Gospels, Acts, the letters that Paul writes and draw the conclusions that the Spirit of God is not alive and at work today through miraculous intervention in human life. I just can't see it. The prophecy from Joel, which Peter quotes in Acts, uh, is it Acts 1 or Acts 2? He, he quotes from Joel, doesn't he? And um, uh, the word there for in those days is eschates hemerase, right? And it means the ongoing into forever kingdom, right? It's not just something that Jesus did. It's not just the Spirit of God will move at that time. It's from now until he comes again. Eschates, eschaton. It's the time of the end when Jesus will return. Until then... I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy, dream dreams, etc., etc. The move of God, the spirit of God alive and at work is happening right now and we can't, it's so difficult to prove from scripture anything else. And this is revival. You know, it's the work of Jesus. Um, so I'm thirsty. I think there's some physical thirst going on because it's representing my spiritual thirst. And I'm drinking both the water of um, the earth and the water of life. I hope you are too. So what I'm trying to say is that 
when we think of revival, what are the marks of revival? It's God at work intervening in human life and effectively making it better. Okay? Now, you can interpret that in a number of ways. I'm not saying he's not calling us to certain things like holiness. Of course he is. And I'm not saying that he's not calling us into, you know, certain disciplines that might be sacrificial. Of course he is. But it's accompanied with huge life and power of the Holy Spirit. And when we get afraid of something... When we don't like something or we don't understand something, we try and uh, understand it and put it in a box. And this is what happens with revival. So let me go back to, you know, stuff that I witnessed back in the early 90s. And some of you will have witnessed it too. So some people would be roaring like a lion. Uh, You know, I can remember... um, uh, talking to somebody who at the time was filled with the Holy Spirit. I've told this story before. Uh, a friend of mine called Hugo, and uh, he's a lovely guy, very, very well-spoken. And, um, and he, I was just chatting to him really normally, but this is after a time of ministry. And he went, excuse me, Jim. Now, what were we saying? And it was weird, okay? It was weird. But you know what? What I discovered since then is this thing that God seemed to be doing. Loads of people that were manifesting this roar of the Spirit became church leaders. And what was God doing? Was he in bringing courage to them? I roared a few times. Friend of my, other friends of mine roared a few times. And that most of them are now leading churches in some capacity or, or ministries. And there was this thing, and I think he was bringing courage. Other people were doing different things. There were all sorts of unusual manifestations. Now, some people have said, but why would God do that to someone? Why would he make someone roar like a lion? Why would he make somebody, you know, crawl on the floor under the influence of the the weight of his presence? And my answer is very simple. He wouldn't make you. He doesn't make you do it. But what he does do is show up. What he does do is increase the tangible sense of his presence. And what then happens if we are open to receiving more of him is our body will respond and manifest in certain ways to the presence of God. So it's not that he is making somebody roar. It's not that he is making someone shake like this or laugh. There was so much laughter back then. You know, well, in his presence is fullness of joy. Why would we not expect laughter? Because in his presence is fullness of joy. So these things happen... But it's not that he's pointing his finger, let's say at me, Jim, and going, I'm going to make you laugh. He's just letting his tang- the tangible sense of his presence increase and I react out of who I am and that could one day look like me laughing and joining in with the joy of heaven and another time it might be me sort of in some way feeling that need for courage and then roaring like a lion over the circumstances of life that I want to see victory in. 
Because what do we associate with lions, all sorts, but with the Lion of Judah, we associate victory. And guess what? We look like him. So it's no surprise that that might be a manifestation. What I'm saying here is the manifestations are our reactions to the presence of God. The way our body physically reacts to his presence. It's not the Holy Spirit doing it to us. But he's present and he's engaged and he's working through it all. And we don't always understand it. And when we don't understand, the danger is we try and box it all in to understand it. And we do certain things. You know, I came across some weird, uh, I think it's weird, um, teaching about manifestations of the Spirit. Um, And this is because somebody has, you know, written a book and they have felt that when somebody is manifesting and reacting to God's presence in them and it looks a bit like drunkenness, um, they are associating that with a practice in yoga called kundalini. And they are saying that this is a dark spirit invading the church of God um, to make it, to sort of deceive us and take us on a path that God hasn't got us on. And I hear that and I go, but what about Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost and the people of God thought the disciples were drunk? If they thought they were drunk, why do I think they were acting drunk? Because Peter says, these men are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine o'clock in the morning or whatever it is, the third hour of the day. And uh, you know, it's it, there in Scripture. We have the the notes that say it looked a bit like drunkenness, but we know that was the Spirit of God. Nobody questions what happened at Pentecost. Nobody seems to question that tongues of fire came and landed on the disciples. Nobody questions that the Spirit of God entered and there was a rushing wind. Nobody questions that they started speaking in tongues. Now, there are different interpretations of what that tongue sounded like and whether it was just other languages that people understood or whether it was something, you know, spiritual that we've never heard before. That's, there are differences around that interpretation, but nobody questions whether it happened. But for some reason, people are questioning what it looked like. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. That's, I read that and I'm going, well, you're not calling that the Kundalini spirit, whatever that is, and that's just some weird you know, interpretation of, of something that I believe God is doing. What's a more biblical understanding? When we read the book of Acts, It's full of the works of the Spirit, of God moving in power. And Jesus said to the disciples, um, you know, you will do greater things than this. And that message carries on. The works of God, you know, they're meant to look pretty crazy. God doesn't need us to understand what he's doing. 
There are times where he will bring understanding because there's something that he needs us to know. There's something that he needs us to, you know, and this is not to say we don't move, you know, Paul's um, encouragement to pursue sound doctrine, etc. Absolutely, we pursue that. Um, but, you know, for some reason, the, the charismatic church are given a bad name because apparently we're the ones who aren't holding true to scripture but when I interpret scripture by scripture I cannot come up with any other interpretation that that makes sense and you know and I've done all the training there is and I look into the original language and all of that and my understanding, if I look at the Old Testament and what was prophesied into the New, I look at what Jesus did, all those acts of Jesus I read out, and that's not all of them. When I look what the disciples did, and when I look at the words that you know, Jesus said, I'm like, how could it be anything else? How could it be that you know, cessationism... The Spirit of God came for that time to birth the church. But then he just comes and lives in the life of a believer to help us become more like Christ. Well, that's of course true. He does come on the believer to help us become more like Christ. But not only that. You know, when Jesus is baptised in John, um, John chapter 4, John describes it and says, The Holy Spirit came upon him in, in the form of a dove and remained on him. You know, so that the Spirit of God comes and when we give our life to Jesus and he seals us with the promise, you know, of the Holy Spirit and that empowers us to live for him. It's him living in us. But he also comes upon us and remains on us so that out of the overflow, the kingdom of God can grow. You will not find, and you're welcome to email me in um, if you want to, I don't think you will find a time in the Gospels where Jesus preaches and he doesn't demonstrate it with signs and wonders. Every time he preaches, something extraordinary happens. Okay, now you might find it in a little paragraph, but look at the context. And if you look at it in context of everything else going in that moment, I, I don't think you're going to see it. Um, and so it's, it, it, I just can't see that how it's possible to preach the gospel without it. We, that's what we're called to do. Um, I wanted to sort of bring this home a little bit and, and look at a, um, let me just stick a marker in there. And look at another passage from the Old Testament. And I felt the Lord wanted me to um, share a little bit from this this morning. And this is from Genesis 28. Um, and in Genesis 28, um, Jacob is sent to Laban um, by Isaac. And um, he's sent essentially to find a wife. So Jacob goes off to Laban. And while he's there, um, on the way, um, Jacob has this encounter with God. I think you'll know it. Um, he has this dream. And it says this. <clears throat> Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran. 
And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and laid down in that place to sleep. If you're wanting to follow along, this is uh, Genesis 28, and I started at verse 10. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder. I'm so sorry. Sometimes hay fever hits me and it gets right in the back of my throat and it's happening right now. And behold, there was a ladder or a flight of steps is another way of looking at it. Uh, There was a ladder or a flight of steps set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord your God, the God of Abraham your father and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south and in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you. Uh, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God and this is the gate of heaven. This is an amazing experience that Jacob has uh, where, uh, you know, it's a dream and he sees this sort of um, into the spirit realm and I don't understand things like portals, you know, where angels can sort of come and go but this sounds like a portal, doesn't it? It sounds like the Lord has sort of opened up a portal uh, or opened Jacob's eyes to see this portal of angels coming up and down this sort of flight of steps uh, to carry out the Lord's uh, commands, that whatever he's got them to do. And he's so struck by the power and the presence of God in this moment that he has this encounter with the awe of God, which is why it says he was frightened. That's the fear of the Lord. It's not sort of scared of bad things happening. It's a, it's a, holy, a sense of the holiness of God. And he he senses this sort of trepidation, almost I'm not worthy to witness this. And so he says, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Now, some of you uh, will know the vision that... um, uh, we have here at Chanctonbury, Vision 2033. And um, if you haven't seen 
um, the video, please go to YouTube and uh, download it, look at it. You'll find it there on the YouTube page. I think it's under Vision and Leadership. And um, it's just Vision 2033. And if you... Uh, Watch that. It's a sort of three and a half minute video which unpacks uh, the vision for the, Chank the Chank churches in Chanctonbury, um, but goes way beyond. And it finishes with this verse, uh, Genesis 28, um, verse, I think it's verse, is it 17? Yeah, 28 verse 17. Um, surely... Um, this is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And you know, what happened was um, last year we ran a conference and um, some church leaders came um, and they didn't come to the conference we were running. They came to a leaders day which we ran at the end of the conference. And these particular two church leaders stayed in my home and they knew nothing about us as a church. They knew nothing about the geography the geography of our area and um, in uh, uh, we were sort of hosting them after the day and the reason that they had come down to this leaders conference was because Chuck Parry was speaking at it um, and they are mentored by Chuck Parry and so who's a friend of ours who's come and done some really cool things with us conferences and things over the years and they'd come really to see him and um, so they knew nothing about us and he said to me he said you know I had this really weird dream last night he said I, I don't know if it means anything to you but I think it's about your church and he said um, in in my dream I, I saw this great big ring and he said I don't really know what it was but it was like this this ring and he said and above this ring, I saw a scene like Jacob's ladder. It was like I saw angels coming down this ladder and assembling and this mighty army. And he said, it was over this hill, this great big hill. Um, and of course, if you know our geography, if you know anything about this area, you'll be tracking with me. You know exactly what this is about. And he had absolutely no idea. And he, he used this language that there's going to be this redemption, like something is shifting in the atmosphere. God is preparing the armies of heaven and something crazy is about to happen, some mighty move of God. Now, if you're joining us online and you don't know our locality, um, in our area uh, is something called the Chanctonbury Ring. You might be able to see on the stained glass Behind me, uh, where the cross is, it's probably out of focus, but um, that is a stained glass of the Chanctonbury Ring. It's a ring of trees on top of the South Downs, and there's this ring of trees. And in the past, it was a place of paganism and witchcraft and all sorts. But the owners of the land have been prayer walking it for the last 30 years, all sorts. And so what this guy was seeing in his dream, although he didn't have the language to understand it, was this geographical space in our parish. And he was seeing the Chanctonbury Ring and he was seeing the activity of the angelic um, being prepared for this move of God. Now, why do I share it? Because... 
This guy had no idea. He's a church leader from the north. Well, from the Midlands, actually. He had no idea what we were about. He had no idea that we were named after this space. We are sanctuary churches, you know, because it's about, you know, um, redemption has enveloped the past. That's from 2033. And it's all, if you read the 2033 um, vision, it's what revival looks like. It's all about the activity of God among his church, among his people, releasing life, releasing so much good and transforming people's lives for the better. It's revival. And if you're someone that's not into dreams or you think dreams, you know, that's not for me. You know, Jacob had this extraordinary dream through which God spoke. And a number of us over the last couple of years have read this book. It's called Understand Your Dreams Now by Doug Addison. And um, he's um, like a prophet, but he understands, he does dream interpretation and all sorts of things. And he's written this book. If It's really quick to read and it just helps you think in a new way so that actually when you go to sleep, uh, uh, since I've read that book, I've had so many more um, spiritual dreams, dreams that I know are from God. And if you want God to speak to you through your dreams, there's other accounts of course Jacob um, uh, Joseph I mean you know uh, he had many dreams but there's uh, you know and then we see Joseph don't we um, Jesus's father having dreams um, Mary so th- there are experiences throughout scripture where we see it but it's just one of the ways he speaks so yeah there's a little something here's I think what I want to say you know revival will always mess with our understanding of who God is and how he works. It will always be challenged. Um, I, I don't think there's a move of God that has not been contested. When I was in London, um, you know, there were people in our church family who really rose up against me. Okay, now the majority of the church didn't. They were really for us. They loved us. They were with us. They were journeying it with us. But there were one or two people who rose up against us. Now, they were believers. One of them dragged me through a clergy disciplinary measure simply because I asked them to um, think about how they were treating people. And, um, you know, they were so angry about this Um, that they dragged me through a clergy disciplinary measure, which is totally the wrong tool for the job. But, you know, it was pretty stressful for me. Um, But I was fully exonerated. You know, um, another person uh, rose up and, and tried to sort of entrap the PCC, the church council. And I'm just like, you know, when... I'm not someone who believes that when we move forward in the presence and the spirit of God that the enemy is just going to attack us and we're going to just get ill and all of that stuff. But I do think, you know, the move of God will be resisted. I do think that. But I have a victorious understanding of that so that the enemy actually can't hurt me um, because I'm protected and my shield of faith is in God's ability to protect, not in the enemy's ability to attack. So... But we'll hit resistance, and very often it's from within the church. From Acts chapter 6, uh, Ananias and Sapphira, uh, sorry, it's Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, the enemy started to try and infiltrate the church and work from the inside to bring his division 
and to break it all up. And so we have to be so careful that we don't rise up against the move of God. We, we wouldn't never dream of doing that, but we might do it unwittingly, um, which is partly what I was speaking about last time. So the move of God, you know, when we see God in action, so often there will be stuff that happens that we don't understand. And um, here's the thing. I will never want, let's say we're asking the Holy Spirit to come among us. I never want to be in the position where I will shut down a work of God because I don't understand a manifestation of his you know, presence that's happening right in front of me. And that means that you know, if I'm leading ministry, I will allow things to go on that other people might question because I'm more concerned that people encounter the true and living God than shutting down what God is doing now if someone's going to manifest an evil spirit it's going to be very obvious Um, and and so I will step in at that point but here's the thing I just will go with as well which is in Luke chapter um, 11 when Jesus speaks about I spoke about this from the Sermon on the Mount, which is a different setting. But in Luke 11, Jesus says, um, if, you know, uh, which of you of, of a father, when his son asks for um, bread, will give him a, a stone? And when his son asks for um, egg, an egg will, will give him a scorpion. And then he says, um, if you, though, who are evil, will give give uh, good gifts to your children, give good things to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So when we are hungry for more of Jesus, hungry for more of his presence, when we say, Holy Spirit, come, and we are you know, aligned with the truth of the gospel, aligned with his salvation, what he's going to give us is his Holy Spirit. Because that's how good he is. He's not going to allow the enemy to come in and do some weird thing that some people are saying that is happening. Because God is so much more powerful and he's going to protect his children. Nothing can snatch them out of my hand. He protects, he loves, and he does good things. And he wants to give the Holy Spirit to us. And if we ask for you know, fish, which is a good thing. If we ask for eggs or bread, which are good things, he's not then going to allow us to sort of have some weird, evil spirit experience and think it was him. He might allow a spirit, an evil spirit to manifest, but he'll only do that if the people are in place who can deal with it and get rid of it and cast it out. How do we cast it out? Look at Jesus. Spirit come out. Bam, it's gone. We use our authority. We don't mess about. Anyway, I'm going off on one. I probably need to wrap it all up and draw things to a close. I, I, I think what I'm really saying is this, okay? Revival is, there's two ways we think of revival, okay? And there's uh, and two understandings of what revival is. So there's personal revival. That's the revival of our spirit, the revival of our heart, where we come alive again, where we have some new encounter with God. Now that can happen in an individual setting 
or in a corporate setting. Okay, and, and then there's corporate revival where it happens to a group of people. Okay, and so that's the church of God waking up to the reality of him in their lives and becoming more like him. That's revival. Awakening is a move of the spirit where the people who don't know Jesus are being woken up from the dead and experiencing Jesus probably for the first time ever in their lives. That's what we call awakening. But very often when we speak of revival, we're talking about the whole thing all at once. Okay, so there's the the sort of definitions. What we don't want to do is quench the spirit of what God is doing. We want to be in line with what he's doing. And I never want to be in a place where I am not believing him for the best, where I am not going sort of saying, Holy Spirit, I need more of you. Because he fills us up to send us out. And when we have these encounters that might look weird and strange or they might look really normal, it's out of the overflow that, you know, we give it away. He gives it to us to give away, to transform the landscape around us so that the kingdoms of this world begin to look like the kingdoms of our Lord. And so can we be the people who when we look back from the year 2033, we look back at what he's done, that we can say, you know, without really necessarily being able to understand everything, we'll look back and say, surely this is the dwelling place of God. Surely this is the gate of heaven. Let's pray. Jesus, we want to be those people who are hungry for more of you. We want to be people that can look back from the year 2033 or the year 2021 and look back at what you have done in our lives and say, surely this is the work of God. Surely all of the good things that have happened as we look back, we'll be able to say, this is the hand of God at work. Surely he has done this. And so we invite you right now afresh, Holy Spirit, come into our homes, our cars, our living rooms, wherever we are tuning in from. May we encounter you right now. May your presence go before us and fill us afresh. May we encounter you in new ways, both in our personal lives, but also when we meet together again. We are so looking forward, Lord, to being able to meet together again and worship together corporately. And we know it's coming so soon. In a few weeks' time, we're going to be begin to start that process of meeting together again. We thank you for it and we pray ahead of time that you will use those times to refresh and reinvigor us, re-energize us with the power of your spirit. But right now, wherever, whatever we're watching this from, may you fill us afresh, Holy Spirit. We so desperately need more of you. 
I just sense that while we're here on, uh, you know, on this um, stream, that as one or two of you are listening, um, some of what I've shared may be hitting questions for you, and that maybe, um, you, you know, you're beginning to hope beyond hope that this is the way, this is the truth, that the Spirit of God does move like I've described this morning, uh, today, uh, but for whatever reason, you haven't been there. And, and the Lord would just say to you, come back and read the Gospels, the Book of Acts, the letters of Paul, read them afresh with the lens that maybe, just maybe, this is the Holy Spirit at work. Because I think he's going to do, he wants to do a work in you to, to change that journey so that your life moving forward will look like everything you've dreamed it would look like. And you won't believe the things that he will work through you because of this. And one of the things we're so excited about, about sort of coming out of lockdown and regathering, is what God is going to do amongst us when that happens. Um, and I think we'll really start to see that when we sort of hit the, the ground running again in September after there's a little bit of a break. But we are meeting, of course, throughout uh, August as well. So do, um, you know, join in with everything that's going on. The, the, the Healing Centre are going to be uh, sharing um, on... Um, uh, throughout August, they're going to be sharing about kind of how we see healing and all of that, which is so exciting. Um, and um, but we'll also have some stuff available that we can participate in face to face, uh, and that will the information about that will be coming very soon. So, bless you. Have an amazing week, and we'll see you soon. God bless. <laughs>